Okay, welcome back to the latest United podcast for a very sort of special and unique episode. We've had some very good guests on in the past. So we've even had former players, we've had pundits, we've even had a stadium announcer in Alan Keegan in the last couple of months. We've also even had a doctor on the podcast in Dr. Barry Schmeiser from South Africa. But I think this is a first for the podcast. Um, we now have our very first author all the way from Germany, Mr. John Silk. How are you, mate? Doing well, thanks. And you? Yeah, all very good. A little bit um, tricky sorting out this time difference. As I say, you are from Germany, which is uh, early morning where you are now, and it's almost my bedtime in Sydney. But um, after a little bit of correspondence, correspondence we were able to get rid of um, the challenges that the time difference does bring. But you just mentioned there, just before you went on air, that um, you did spend some time in Sydney a couple of years ago. Yes, I did. Yeah, I had uh, six months in Sydney doing the the classic. Uh, I'm actually from the UK, although as you as you mentioned, I'm in Germany now. I I work here as a journalist. But um, yeah, 15 years ago, I had six months in Sydney and a couple of other months traveling around the um the country doing the classic uh, sort of British backpacking um uh, working holiday visa kind of uh, thing. Yeah, not plenty of that. A lot of our listeners um were are in the same boat as you were all those years ago, but. I think it's a fascinating thing because some of our most favourite podcasts we have done have been sort of ones where we have had guests who do have a unique story. And speaking of stories, you have written a book about probably the greatest story ever told in Manchester United. So for those who don't know, I'm sure you have seen on all our social medias, but John is the author of the book called Even the Defeats. It's a book about Stralix Ferguson, how he drew inspiration from Man United's losses to mastermind some of their greatest triumphs. And we're going to get, we're going to break it all down in a little bit. But I think it's such an important part of Manchester United. We all remember the great victories and the triumphs, the success, the trophies, and that's what we cling to. However, almost the biggest part of the story, which makes those trophies so sort of memorable, are the defeats. And the defeats aren't such like individual games, like you lose to Manchester City or you lose to Southampton. They're sometimes bigger there. Well, I don't want to call it a defeat, but you look at Munich, that was a huge setback for the club. You look at the way they got relegated years later. You look at the struggles in Europe under Stralix Ferguson in the early 90s. They're all parts of the defeats that do make the success come, um, or the, the success taste so sweet. So just your first thoughts on how the book came about and sort of what was the inspiration behind it? Yeah, I mean, you you touched on on several uh, key points there, and um, they're all kind of fundamental in in how the book came about. I think, as a fan, uh, and, I, and I'm certainly not alone. And and if I thought I was alone, then I found out during the process of writing the book I wasn't. I think as a fan that um, the defeats and the setbacks are the uh, 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 stick in the mind as much as the as the victories and the, and the success, don't get me wrong. I mean, Champions League winning, you know, seasons such as 98, 99 or 07, 08, or, or the first Premier League title, 92, 93, and, and I could go on. These memories are, you know, burned brightly, but so do um, some of the setbacks early on in the, in the Fergie reign and, you know, the, the winter of discontent of 89 before, the cup run that that, that uh, you know ended gloriously in 1990 to bring Ferguson's first trophy, or I think 92, that that league title collapse was for me and and many other fans the worst uh, moment during the Fergie reign, the the lowest point. Not not in terms of doubting Ferguson. I don't think anyone was calling for his head. It was just 
the fear that that this has been this has been 25 years and so at the moment we're on a seven year stretch without a league title this had been 25 years and we we thought after that we thought we're never going to do it you know i spoke to guys from fanzines um you know spent many years outside old trafford you know um promoting their their magazines and 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 they just thought like i did i thought this is never going to happen you know we, that was horrible and the nature of the defeat the nature of the, the the total loss i should say um the way we were leading it and and having a great chance of doing it and just threw it away i mean i think we were one or two points in front and had a couple of games in hand with you know half a dozen games to go um and then the actual final defeat was losing at anfield and what a place to lose the league title so to speak so I guess this was this was the point, and and, and you know I, we mentioned the Champions League successes, and, and we remember those nights in in Barcelona in '99 at the Camp Nou, or or in Moscow in in 2008. But we also remember Galatasaray in '93, or you know Barcelona in '94 when we got smashed four 0 and Schmeichel and Cantona in the stands because of the foreigner rule, or some of the quarterfinals and semi-final defeats as well in the in the 2000s. We, we remember those as much as anything else. And like greedy fans that we are, we would always like one more, one more Premier League, one more Champions League, just to, to sort of secure the, the Fergie era, so to speak, or the Fergie legacy. What do you think there, just you mentioned in terms of greedy fans, and I just want to sort of fast forward a little bit to sort of the modern era of fans. And the mentality really hasn't changed, I think, in terms of fans, but it's obviously far more visible now online. You mentioned there in terms of, well, we just touched on the sort of the inspiration behind the book and the memories that defeats sort of do leave with you. We, we look at a win now and you just follow someone's timeline on their Twitter page or their Facebook page. And if Man United win, it's, okay, good game, well done. Okay, who we got next? However, if you lose, the emotion that loss brings, it just fills people's timelines with hate because the anger is flowing throughout them. So do you think that is a reason almost, I would say your inspiration behind the book, but the emotion a loss or a defeat does bring is almost more powerful than what we feel after success. I think I think there could be a subconscious element to that. Um, you know, it's actually something I haven't given a, a great deal of thought or clarity. But but your argument is is, is pretty good. What um what I what does spring to mind though when you mention say social media and and reactions is, and this has been a thought of mine since writing the book, but it has been mentioned to me is that um, the success of, of uh, books apparently about Liverpool during their fallow years uh, was, was quite high in terms of books about Liverpool and their glory days of the 70s and 80s. And now I've just written a book about United and kind of being a bit nostalgic and uh, you know yearning for yesteryear during a seven or eight year stretch that we're in now. And whenever I do go on social media, uh, the most uh, the frenzy or the most active that people can be on social media regarding Manchester United does tend to be in the wake of a, of a really bad defeat. Um, you know, I remember the one nil defeat away to Newcastle um, under Solskjaer about just over a year ago or, or the 6-1 defeat this season at home to Spurs. Those defeats seem to to get people even more um, uh, trigger happy with their keyboard, so to speak. But then, when things are a little calmer, 
and maybe things are between games and there's been two or three days, then the tweets emerge about yearning for yesteryear when we see great goals from gigs or debates about Skulls and Gerrard or, you know, who was better or who would be in your all-time 11 or, or which team was better, 99 or 2008. And um, I think with all of these things, it's maybe been a subconscious thing behind writing the book rather than something I was uh, acutely aware of um, before writing it. No, definitely. Now, when we, whenever we have a guest on the podcast, we like to sort of go through sort of chronological order. But before we get onto the book, and something I wanted to touch on a few minutes earlier, but just as a fan, your story, your Man United story, everyone has one. You know, your first memory, the reason you're supporting Man United, just your sort of bit of sort of history with Manchester United. I mean, the, the, it's it's actually completely linked to the book, really, because I don't think I could write this book without having. Uh, you know, either a great affinity for the club or um, uh, or having a story, so to speak. And mine uh, began uh, in the mid '80s. Uh, I was. It's actually. I actually mention it in in my dedication because the woman responsible for me supporting Manchester United um, was my stepmother, and uh, my father was never really into football. My mother was, but she was an Arsenal fan. So less said of that, the better. But it was my stepmother who had a great influence on me at this this age of five or six when you're kind of at your your it's the the, the age really that many of us choose you know to, to a follow football and be our team and uh, I was in the garden uh, playing football but without a ball uh, you know just pretending and uh, and these these feelings that I had that day by the way almost never leave I mean, uh, you 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 see how adults are even without a ball. We kind of imagine when we're watching a match, or even just you know, even when we do see a ball, we still have that childish element of, of wanting to kick it. And if there's a goal nearby, we just want to kick it in the goal. And this 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 I don't know this 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 devotional love of of, of the game never really leaves us. And and so she caught me uh, pretending to play football, and I was mortified. I was super embarrassed because she obviously asked me what I was doing. And at this stage, um, I became aware of her interest in football. And uh, she then bought me a Manchester United kit. This was late, um, sort of mid-80s, but the late um, Ron Atkinson era. And so the kit was the, the Man United kit with the, the, the badge in the middle. The one that uh, United won the cup final in in 85. So I had the badge in the middle with yeah. the white sort of uh, bits near the shoulder um, that went down towards the chest uh, and sharpened, and so that was that was my United story really. And from that moment onwards, I was a, a United fan. I mean, she used to spoil me rotten with all the gifts and the duvets and the you know I had the posters and the match magazines and the shoot magazine subscriptions and and the football stickers and and all the rest of it. So um, yeah, that was my beginning, if you like. And here we are, you know, almost forty years later, and. My my joys and, and frustrations are, are are equal today as what they were then regarding Manchester United. Yeah, no, it's always good to hear because everyone all all stories are quite similar in how you support United, but they are all very unique in their own ways. But we will move on to the book, and just before we start on the actual book, the foreword is obviously written by Rennie Mullenstein, who obviously a huge part of Man United's success um, under the, in, under Fergie's reign, but also now has his own connection to Australia and the Socceroos. So just a little bit about how that came about. Yeah, um, <laughs> I don't know if I have to 
given uh, a thanks inadvertently to um, the the Socceroos for the forward and the interview coming about because there was a few little strokes of luck, I guess, in terms of me getting in touch with him, him to, him being available, uh, etc. That that meant the first of all the interview came about. And, and we had two or three good hours together. Um, and then obviously latterly that he agreed to do the forward, but it was based obviously largely on on, on how we clicked, if you like, during the interview. Um, but uh, uh, the reason I mentioned the Socceroos thing, of course, is, was he was stranded in, in the UK at the time with the, with the pandemic sort of in the midst of its first wave, so to speak, in, in Europe, that... Um, this this combination of events made the interview perhaps a little bit more possible if he was in the midst of some some qualifiers with australia or or he was actually even in australia at the time then perhaps me reaching out to him and and him having the time available wouldn't have wouldn't have come about but uh yeah when once once it did come about and uh and he agreed to do it uh he was both generous generous with his time but also with the enthusiasm and dedication that he gave to our two-hour interview as, as, as I could possibly hope for. I mean, sometimes people are not always engaged and they agree to give you 20 minutes or half an hour and you spend a lot of it just hoping that they don't want to put the phone down. But uh, our our Zoom conversation was, was great. And yeah, he gave me some great nuggets, which are included in the book. Um, and when he agreed to do the forward, um, so that was a couple of months after we did the interview, uh, you know, I, I mentioned in the acknowledgements that it was the best feeling I'd had since we won the league in 2013. <laughs> uh, I literally did celebrate as though we'd won a trophy because, uh, I mean, we haven't had a lot of moments to celebrate since 2013, admittedly. But, um, yeah, it was great. And, and I really appreciate that um, from Rene and... Uh, yeah, uh, some some great insight, um, some great moments that he spoke about. Um, he obviously worked with Ferguson for, um, I guess, more a best part of a decade, uh, quite closely for around five or six years as an uh, assistant or first team coach. And um, so, you know, he was there during, uh, at close hands during the sort of 06, 07, 07, 08, which was the the born again moment of the Ferguson era, which of course is focused on heavily in the book. And then of course the last sort of four or five years after Ronaldo left. And by the way, he also gives me some good stuff with, with Ronaldo, but also even the Van Persie signature and, and how that came about and how Rene was, was crucial um, arguably to that, although he wouldn't say so himself. Um, he certainly um, played a key role in, in that, um, that last sort of big purchase of the Ferguson era. No, it definitely sounds good. Well, the moment when he did arrive or sign for the Socceroos in his new role, he has gone to the top of uh, mine and Larry's um, list to get on for a special guest on the podcast. We're still yet to make contact, but maybe that's something we can um, discuss a little bit after this. But it would be uh, great to have a chat with him because, yeah, some of the success that he oversaw at United, obviously fantastic. But again, that is all a positive. Now, the book, I don't want to say that the book isn't a positive, but defeats <laughs> The first thing that comes to your mind when you think about defeats is obviously a negative thing, but it is such a big part of the story. And we're just going to focus on one or two sort of sort of defeats. And the defeats again aren't individual games. I think we can look at it as a bigger picture. The first one yeah. I touched on is sort of around that. I don't know what you'd call it. In and around maybe 2004 to 2006 era, where there was a bit of a transit, or I would say a bit of a transition at United. There was a definite transition happening. You had a young Cristiano Ronaldo who 
because brilliant as he was, was so inconsistent at the time. You had a young Wayne Rooney. Um, you had the arrival of Chelsea at the time and Jose Mourinho. Um, yeah, obviously had a big one for me personally was Roy Keane just overnight leaving the club and the, yep. sort of the chaos that was, um, sort of ensued after that. So Sir Alex Ferguson, as fondly as we remember his time at United, I still remember then you're not sitting there saying banners saying Fergie out like there was in the late 80s. But a lot of people were questioning Sir Alex during that time. And we obviously did go three years without the title, which look when we look at it now, three years is nothing. What are we coming up seven, eight years since the title? But just a little bit about um, that era and your sort of, you obviously speak about it in the book, but just your sort of first thoughts when that era 2004 to 2006 springs to mind. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 as you say, the title of the book, even the defeats, which which I took from from his speech um, at Old Trafford yeah. on um, uh, for his last home game. Um, you know, it, it's 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 the clue is in the title, in, in in the defeats, but it's also about the journey from defeats to victory. And I think, as you say, uh, or setbacks to victory as well. Uh, as you say, the the o four o six period arguably is 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 darker than the the 86 to 89 period i mean 86 to 89 um you know was was not great and 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 you look at the, you know where we finished in the league in those years and you would say that it was worse but of course what you had before the 86 to 89 was you know almost a uh, you know two decades of of a complete lack of success anyway. What you had in 04, 05, 06 was what appeared to be a great of the game or a great of sport almost, you know, seemingly having his powers ever away. Uh, we've seen it with many sports stars, either ones that retire and then come back, maybe in Formula One or in athletics or also in football, or just ones that continue for too long and, and don't find solutions if you like to to long long long-term problems and so we saw this this guy who had um you know was close to retirement uh in 2002 but decided to carry on and then for the next sort of three four years we had the the Wenger and then latterly the Mourinho effect and I think overcoming those two obstacles if you like were probably bigger achievements for Ferguson than, than even just winning the first title and the first trophies in the early 90s because I think the competition by 03, 04, 05, 06 in terms of managers, for example, was on another level. We now had the foreign influx, not just on the field, but also on the bench, but not just a foreign influx of of past it managers or, or, or past it players, you had arguably some of the best managerial talent in Europe. You had Gerard Houllier, for example, at Liverpool, who was much highly thought of and and still did a, a, a you know a very good job, whether we like it or not. Um, Old Trafford, uh, and then of course you had Wenger doing you know marvelous things at Arsenal in terms of. Um, you know, ripping up rule books almost in terms of, of training and, uh, and diet and bringing in players for, for really good prices. You know, it wasn't like Wenger was even competing with Ferguson or United for the, for the big expensive players. He was getting Nicholas Anelka for 500000 or he was getting 
you know, Patrick Vieira for three, three and a half million when midfielders were going for double that. So, and then obviously Mourinho was probably, you know, the best manager of his time and certainly of that style and, and winning a European Cup at Porto. So this was a very different situation to the obstacles that Ferguson overcome when, when, for example, he was winning trophies in the 90s with Kevin Keegan, you know, and uh, Roy Evans at Liverpool. These, these, these are very different and very uh, much more difficult obstacles to overcome. So I think this period, and ironically, I was in Australia for a large or a period of this, um, this time. I was there for six, seven months or seven, eight months between in the 05-06 season, the season that ended with us winning the Carlin Cup. Um, this was this was a dark time, and uh, you know I remember going into work in in Sydney, and uh, sometimes going into work immediately after a, def uh, a defeat or, or or a problem, and and as you said, with the the, the purchases of, of Rooney and Ronaldo and the Keane departure, um, you know it's it's a heavy focus of the book because every chapter um, really it goes that I have in the book pretty much goes from a a setback to a, a, a triumph almost. And and this, there's a, a couple of parts of the book or a couple of chapters of the book that just focus on firstly Wenger and then secondly Mourinho and how Ferguson overcame them. And um, I think he overcame them with, with partly through a long-term plan. Um, Rooney and Ronaldo were certainly very much a part of that long-term plan. And, and he recognised that this was not going to be a, a quick fix or even where we could have a transitional period or season such as maybe 95, 96, when we, we actually won that league title in 95, 96, overcoming Newcastle and Keegan. But arguably, you would say we were in transition that year or even the following year with with obviously, you know, um, selling Kachowski, Sinson, Hughes and bringing the young kids through. I think Ferguson was perhaps looking at a little bit long term there, but uh, could still pick up trophies because the the opposition of the competition wasn't so great. Well, could you, 2004, you, you 2005, there, 2006 wasn't the case. Yeah, definitely. But you just mentioned there, and I agree that you could almost argue this was Sir Alex's most, almost his darkest period at United. However, could yeah. you flip that in terms of depending on your perspective and what way you want to view it? It's almost his most important time and his almost best time because you look what followed that three years. He follows it up with yep. the most successful period of his time. You know, he wins the yep. um, Premier League three times in a row, wins the Champions League, wins the Club World Cup. So his work in those frustrating three years is almost as important as of any stage in his career. Yeah. I mean, uh, we mentioned Rooney and Ronaldo, and I think their uh, trajectory is kind of obvious and also their influence is, is obvious in that they were a little bit like United, inconsistent at the beginning of their, of their times at United and, could frustrate, but we thought there was talent. We didn't probably quite realise that that Ronaldo would be the one. I think we saw Rooney has been a bit more consistent. We thought Rooney would be the one, maybe complemented by Ronaldo, but actually it turned out to be the other way around, that Ronaldo just exploded. Um, I think there's one person, though, that um, United fans sort of uh, don't talk about in quite such gushing terms. Ferguson does. Um, but but United fans don't, and there's a few reasons for that, and I'll come to that in a second. Um, and that's Carlos Quiros, the the guy who's just lost his job, it looks like, in Colombia. And uh, I don't think it would be a bad idea if um, if Ole Solskjaer picked up the phone, at least for a conversation, if nothing more, because 
Kiros is influence on United. Um, it cannot be forgotten. And, and, and the reason why I mentioned United sort of, I think United fans are okay with Kiros and we recognise him as being a great coach, but we don't quite give him the same amount of time as many other, you know, coaches or players, partly because I think we, we attached him as well to some of the, the bad times in the mid 2000s and certainly on, on the pitch, I remember being at many United games where United fans were screaming attack, attack, attack. And this was born out of anger as much as anything else and was also born out of frustration in terms of a lack of goals on, on occasions. I remember uh, having several, I remember 03-04, the season that Arsenal went unbeaten, just not being able to score goals in, in so many key matches at the beginning of that season. And um, I think it was the end of that season, actually, I was at um, Carroll Road, we lost 2-0. And uh, again, the fans are getting pretty angry during this period. Um, and, and, and Carlos Kios was getting some of the blame because people didn't want to blame Ferguson, mm. basically. But I think um, inwardly they possibly were. But Kios is someone that Ferguson mentions as many times in his second autobiography as every other assistant put together. If you count the amount of pages um, where Kios either gets a mention or a dedication or a compliment, uh, he actually gets mentioned as many as, as, as all the other coaches did put together, as I said. And I think that trajectory in Europe and, 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 and domestically too can be, he's a sort of a third, not possibly as influential as, as the players on the pitch, such as, as Rooney and, and, and Ronaldo, and, and possibly Rio Ferdinand, a similar age as well, and his career trajectory is a similar path. Um, but Kios's influence, particularly in Europe, cannot be forgotten. And his trajectory... And Ronaldo's trajectory is very similar in, in the way we see United improving year on year from, from the sort of 0405 period until winning the Champions League in 08. And of course, he departs in the summer of 08. Ronaldo leaves a year later. And on the European front, at least, we were never quite the same force again, despite making the final in 2011. Yeah, no, definitely. Now, it just popped into my mind just in that era almost, well, even a little bit before that era which I think really kick-started it. But we're talking about defeats as a collective and it's sort of the bigger picture. However, if I do want to single in on a game, I just want to get your thoughts. just popped into my head now. I am to blame... No, this sounds bad. I don't want to blame this defeat on sort of changing the landscape of English football. But if I'm going to put my tinfoil hat on, I truly believe it sort of almost did have that effect. But the when we got knocked out of the Champions League against Porto at Old Trafford with Jose Mourinho, I always uh-huh. wondered for that defeat... A case of what if, if Skulls' goal gets allowed and we go through or Tim yep. Howard doesn't drop the ball and they don't get that goal. We don't see that image of Jose Mourinho running down the touchline. Porto don't go on to win the Champions League. You don't know if Jose Mourinho that arrives at Chelsea. If he does, does he arrive with the same swagger? And I just think that is yep. a single defeat at Manchester United where I think, look, you can call me conspiracy theory or not. I just think it did change the landscape and change the future over the next Well, You look at it now, how successful Chelsea have become. I think it changed the the Premier League landscape, if you like, or, or, or English teams' trajectories. Uh, I think if I was to focus on that defeat and uh, against Porto, and it, 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 of course I do, because I look at many of the key defeats in the European uh, sort of story between 2000 and 2008. And uh, here's a, uh, a little clue in terms of the book, once again, that every chapter kind of begins with a defeat or a setback, but ultimately ends in triumph, albeit with a spoiler alert, there is one chapter that doesn't quite have a happy ending. Um, but I, that that 04 defeat against Porto is 
is one of sort of five or six uh, defeats or setbacks that do ultimately, in a way, lead to uh, the glorious night in Moscow in 2008. Uh, but I think actually probably uh, now, 15, 16 years later, I think you could probably look at that as an Arsenal fan and have probably, uh, strangely enough, as a third party that should have no interest in that game. Because I think you're right, if United win that game, I have no idea where we end up in the Champions League that season. But but what I do know is that that really... Mourinho didn't finish Ferguson off, but he did finish Wenger off, albeit that Wenger stayed on for six, seven more years. But but with Mourinho and Abramovich, that was uh, probably as much of an influence in, in, in Wenger's demise as, as Ferguson was. Uh, and I think that 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 result probably has a bigger indirect influence on, on Arsenal than it does United, because United kind of recover. Whereas Mourinho and Abramovich entering at, at Chelsea, that was kind of... well. well Put it like this, Arsenal haven't won a title since then. And that's 16 years. That's a long time. I mean, I think I actually quite many, when you sort of were, were introducing that Porto defeat, I actually quickly wrote down the defeat I thought you were going to mention, which is the 2000 defeat to Real Madrid. I think the two defeats to Real Madrid in 2000 and 2003 have a big influence and probably a bigger influence on on United ultimately turning things around and, and winning the Champions League and, and having successful teams in the late 2000s because 2000 was kind of the end of the swashbuckling team of, of 99 that had been building up and we all remember Cole and York ripping Barcelona apart and we remember the, the flying wingers and the 4-4-2 and and, and being able to do this with Keenan Skulls or Keenan Butt in the mid, middle of the park and relying on Stam or Jonsson at the back. But this was, this was the end of that, really, in a way. And in fact, um, there was another defeat to Bayern a year later. And I think that was the last time that many of those players played for the club, actually, or certainly in the Champions League anyway. And so um, by 2001, the summer of 2001, Ferguson... Uh, decided to buy Juan Sebastian Verón, and that was purely with the Champions League in mind. It was all about winning the Champions League because Ferguson long held this belief, um, even before the 99 victory, that having three midfielders in the middle of the park was the way to go. He saw Verón being a, a continental-style player, someone who could keep the ball, someone who could create and sit, perhaps alongside um, uh, Roy Keane, for example, at the time, you know, in a in a kind of a silk and steel kind of, you know, in front of the back four, which we started to see many years later. But basically that experiment failed. And by 03, when we lost to, and it failed for a number of reasons, uh, and, and they're all heavily doc documented in the book. Um, but by 03, that, 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 that game as well against Real Madrid in 03, when, we, when, when Brazilian Ronaldo scores a hat-trick, it's kind of the death knell for Beckham in a way because he's on the bench. That game also has a huge influence because there's a certain Russian billionaire in the stadium who decides after watching that game that he's going to invest in English football and he decides to invest in Chelsea. Not, not United or, or any of the other sort of big guns because I think he wanted to, to transform a club and he was never going to transform a, a team at the top such as United. So, um, you know, that, that had an influence there. And then secondarily, and well, no, primarily, the biggest influence regarding that defeat to Madrid in a way, and that's that period, 
was the departure of David Beckham and bringing in Cristiano Ronaldo. On the at the last day of the season, uh, or the David, the, sorry, the league title was secured. Uh, a, a wonderful goal from Harry Kuehl scores scoring at Highbury in 03. Um, Australian Harry Kuehl, of course. Um, uh, just trying to get your listeners on board there a little bit, as well as being United fans. So, so Harry Kuehl scores a marvellous goal at Highbury that basically seals United the title. Uh, there's the, the sky cameras go over to, to Ferguson in, in his front room and he's, you know, he's, he's very happy and the champagne is out and he's celebrating with the family. Um, but I say celebrating, he's very quick to talk about Europe and he's very quick to talk about the game against Madrid. And this is an interview that's not much remembered amongst all the millions of interviews that Ferguson gave. And we remember many of them with, with great fondness, even when he was angry. We love those moments. But um, this interview, he's, you know, he's sort of celebrating, but he's talking about how we need to improve in Europe. And something he said, which people kind of you know, forget about with the Beckham and, and Ronaldo sort of in-out moment, is he said that we need players that can beat players. We need people that can take players out of the the game, you know, and he noticed how that 03 game, for example, with Figo and Raul and the Brazilian Ronaldo and even Zidane in the way he would bring a ball down or or control the ball or just move or drop his shoulder. He could take one or two players out of the game. And and, and that advantage you could have on a counter-attack in Europe, which was arguably the direction that United were heading in the time, would prove to be crucial. And so he saw, he didn't say Ronaldo by name, because this is May 2003, a couple of months before the purchase was sealed. And it was also just before Beckham's official departure was you know, confirmed. So he wasn't going to mention these players by name, but that was clearly an influence behind the sale of Beckham and, and, and the purchase of Ronaldo. So there was a lot of stuff going off the field, but that decision was also an on-the-field decision as well. And, and um, yeah, and, and, I, and I think those defeats, and, and then you mentioned Porto and that, that, that defeat to Porto, by the way, there was a foul on Ronaldo during a counter-attack about a minute before uh, they equalised, which was also crucial. We're, we're on a counter-attack. We're leading 1-0. We're going through on away goals. Ronaldo's basically going to go through on goal. He's hauled down. and um, uh, But I think that the referee that doesn't give a free kick or he doesn't uh, send the guy off, and then you know a minute later, Porto get the goal. And and you mentioned sliding doors, of course, that then ultimately led to Mourinho taking the helm at Chelsea. Yeah, no, definitely. Now, just sort of that dark period, that 04 to 06, and obviously, like your chapter stated in the book, they all, all start in a defeat, but they all end in triumph. And what we just said there, Ferguson did endure those dark times, those dark couple of years, but ultimately it did sort of have a happy ending. And he obviously went on to win absolutely everything, league titles um, and the Club World Cup and Champions League. So um, we'll move on to probably the most painful defeat, or it's definitely a fresh defeat in terms of the collective. The Manchester City, when they sort of arrived, well, it took them a few years, but when they ultimately arrived yeah. and won the title, um, we all know they won it in the most dramatic fashion. Um, even as United yeah. fans, you sort of have to take your hat off and say, well, that was unbelievable. As much as it hurt, um, it was one hell of a sort of dramatic finish. Um, but obviously that City side of the story, our side of the story is a huge, painful defeat. So just a little bit like we just touched on there, just your sort of thoughts on that moment and that era? Yeah. Um, Ferguson um, said many on many occasions that he was never better than in adversity, if you like, that he was never a, a better manager than, than in these moments. These, these were the moments for him to rise 
if you like, and uh, and improve. Um, and with adversity, I mean, you know, it comes defeat, of course, uh, or setbacks. And this 2012 defeat uh, hurt him and I think even his family, his wife kind of spoke about not wanting to go on the streets. And, and I spoke to Paul Hayward, really gave me a lot of insight. Paul Hayward was the ghostwriter for Ferguson's um, second autobiography. And so that really did sort of center on the second half of the Ferguson reign, the, the book and, and obviously Hayward's knowledge, if you like, um, from that. And so Hayward told me about, um, told me a bit more than just what was in Ferguson's second autobiography. Something, a couple of things that he mentioned to me, for example, that weren't in the autobiography of, of Ferguson's that, that, that uh, he told me were, that Ferguson's drive and resolve were, were, you know, increased if they could possibly be. His determination to wrench back the title from City the following year, uh, you know, the best, what some of the best examples were that in terms of how he studied opponents, spent more time than ever, uh, both on the training field, but also in the video analysis room and just making sure there was no stone unturned. Um, in the fight to get that title back. So the, the I mean, we began this conversation by kind of talking about how the book came about. I mean, one of the reasons why the book sort of worked for me was every time I looked at a, at a success story, it began with a, a setback or defeat or, or a bad moment or Ferguson in adversity, whether that be the dark days of 88, 89, and, and the 5-1 defeat to Man City, and then the same season winning the, the FA Cup or losing the league to Leeds in 92. Boom, a year later, we win the title, you know, in 93. And, and the relationship between the each event is, is so clear that it's not just me going, oh, what a coincidence, those two things happened close to each other or, or boom, boom, boom. There's actually a relationship between the events. And, and the 2012-2013 thing, which was the end of the Ferguson reign, also has this exact same dynamic, this exact same relationship between an incredibly hard, tough pill to swallow and, you know, glory and an unbelievable way to, to go out. And, and so what we see is so many things that occurred in the setback are related to the triumph of, of a year later and the way we crushed Man City the following season, giving Ferguson the perfect send-off you know, was related to the way the year before ended in, in on both sides of Manchester because even Manchester City arguably kind of took their foot off the pedal and, and many, many experts that I spoke to, um, you know, gave me some good, clear examples of Man City taking their foot off the pedal and it wasn't until Guardiola arrived actually that they actually won two titles back-to-back -back. and again, Ferguson would often talk, particularly early on in his reign, about how difficult it would be to win two titles back to back. Uh, although I think um, uh, a journeys from victory to victory uh, didn't quite make quite such a good story as journeys from defeat to victory. So, so I didn't look at how how United would regain titles, but but um, or sorry to 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 keep the title or to to win it back to back, uh, which was something, of course, we never quite managed in Europe, which is which is probably the sort of I think long term is the, the sort of big regret um, uh, of Ferguson's and, and maybe even as United fans looking on. But well, yeah, that, that 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 relationship between 2012 and 2013 is so clear and so romantic in a way, um, you know, having a, a happy ending.
well, you just mentioned there, as it's such a painful defeat. However, 12 months later, it finishes as good as it can in terms of winning the Champions League. And look, football, we all know, of course, it's a team game. Of course, for Alex Ferguson, had such a big impact. But we all look back and look, it is, it is far more complex. But we all look back and say, Robin Van Persie arrived. Robin Van Persie was the reason we won it. He almost single-handedly yep. took us to the yep. title. And just your thoughts on Sir Alex in terms of the way he reacted to defeat, literally losing it on goal difference. So on paper, how do you fix that? You buy someone who's going to score goals. So he brings in yeah. Robin Van Persie. And just your thoughts on Sir Alex Ferguson's thinking behind that to sort of almost sort of fix the problem. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I, I didn't sort of mention it in my initial answer. Of course, it's the first thing that jumps into your head is you lose the title to City and we win it a year later. And, and the, the big difference, you know, the unbelievably big difference is Robin Van Persie. And I probably didn't mention it in my initial answer just because it's kind of a no brainer in a way. I think we were sort of looking at Lewandowski at the time as well. Um, I think that was his last season. Yes, it was at Dortmund. And that summer he went to Bayern. Uh, I think Ferguson would have loved to have brought him to Old Trafford, but that was pretty much a done deal between the two German clubs. Um, and so Van Persie was probably the the obvious next choice, at least obvious in terms of talent and what United needed. Wrenching him from Arsenal, of course, would be a different thing. Um, although Ferguson did have reservations in the January of 2012, around the time of the United, this is sort of obviously... Before the end, long before the end of the season, the previous season, the January of 2012, uh, around the time of the cup win at Man City at 3 2, uh, and Skulls coming out of retirement that, that, that period of January, it was around this time that there were some feelers, if you like, put out between United and Arsenal. Um, and Moonstein certainly played a role in that, being of the same nationality. and uh, I think there was an agency, it's, 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 it's documented in the book, that represents Van Persie that I think got in touch with United. And, and as I say, uh, you can get more information on that book, uh, on that in the book. But um, this was key. Now, I talk about Ferguson's reservations. Ferguson did have one or two reservations at this point in January 2012 about, you know, injury record, et cetera, et cetera. You know, uh, and Mullenstein was like, no, he's fine. You know, they looked at the stats and all the rest of it. And then also the reservations for Ferguson were about, you know, the likelihood of it coming about. You didn't want to have a uh, an embarrassing transfer pursuit that we've become familiar with in, in more recent years, post-Ferguson. So he wanted to be sure. And, uh, you know, Mullenstein assured him, he said, I think, I think he wants it, you know. Uh, certainly if he's going to come to an English club, then, then it's really United, you know, he wants to come to. And of course, we remember the press conference that Van Persie gave about the little boy inside him said United every day of the week and that was clearly a, a, a sign of, of, of at, where we were at the time and Man City were at the time in terms of the status of the two clubs that you had a new kid in town in terms of Man City but they didn't have quite the lure or anywhere near the lure that United had or, or I can still have so yes the Van Persie signature is, is a is an obvious difference between the two seasons but I also think that there was uh, a ruthlessness to United that season that came from the manager uh, regarding how the t title had been uh, slipped away the year before. Ferguson gave an interview in the February of 2013 uh, that, by the way, makes it look like he's going to carry on for another you know, five years rather than another five months. He uh, gives, an, gives an interview to BBC TV 
Um, we're just ahead of the Champions League uh, ties against Madrid. And Ferguson said that, you know, regarding the previous season, you know, complacency was to blame. And we didn't anticipate the defeat against um, uh, Wigan in the run into 2012, sorry, 2011-2012. And the, the obviously the, the, the loss of the two goals against Everton where, you know, again, he used the word anticipation. We just didn't expect it. And that obviously means complacency. The following season, when the screw was there to be turned at Christmas, for example, or just before Christmas, winning it at the Etihad with that marvellous free kick from Robin Van Persie that did take a deflection. But anyway, um, you know, or, or, or just winning those games when really, you know, beating Everton at home on the eve of the Champions League tie, playing our strongest team and just making sure we got that title and there was going to be no way we were going to just let it slip, no matter how big our advantage was, because for most of the second half of the season, we did have a big advantage and ultimately sealing it with a 3-0 win and a, and a Van Persie hat-trick. I mean, that just ticks all the boxes in a way in, in the way we came back from the season before. Yeah, no, definitely um, extremely fitting when um, when you do put it that way. But just to wrap up, well, just moving on now quickly before I wrap up the podcast, you, you look at that and that is almost the last sort of happy memory we do have. And it's scary yeah. to think. It, it feels like yesterday, but also we're coming on to almost 10 years ago in, in a few years that'll be so it's quite yeah. so you say there in terms of Arsenal not winning the league for it's coming on 16 years sort of thing so those years yeah. do rack up quite quick and at the moment we yeah. are I'd say unfortunately in the middle of a sort of a huge defeat at the moment in terms of where we are yeah. where we have been where Liverpool currently are which obviously does play a part in terms of where your rivals are we just mentioned there sort of their influence when Manchester City win, the, the impact that had on Sir Alex and Manchester United. So hopefully Ole Gunnar Solskjaer can get us back to the success we want. But just before we wrap up, just um, throw it back over to you if you want to sort of tell everyone where they, because we're recording this on the eve of the PSG game, so a little bit, or just at the start of December, um, could make a very good Christmas present for a few people. So if you just give a little bit of a plug on your social media handles and best place to buy the book. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, social media, Twitter anyway, is at Jay Silk, at Jay Silk. Um, I'm John Silk. I've written this book, uh, Even the Defeats, which is available on Amazon. It's also available via uh, Pitch Publishing, who, who gave me the opportunity to write this book um, on their website, on Pitch Publishing's website. It's also available in other parts of the world, in, in shops, for example, in the UK. I know it's available in, in Waterstones and WH Smiths, two of the biggest shops in the UK. But of course, for most people, of course, listening in Australia and other parts of the world, Amazon uh, would be the obvious place to get um, get the book, yeah. No, beautiful. We'll definitely leave a link to all the um, sites and all, all your social media handles as well. Uh, just listening to some of your stories there, just um, it definitely, um, as I mentioned, you, we do want to remember all the sort of great memories, but the defeats are such an important part of Man United's history and ultimately they do yeah. sort of end up in, in positive. So hopefully this one with Solskjaer, Hopefully you can add a new chapter in a few years where Solskjaer obviously overcomes this dark time and um, we have some more positive times to look back on. But as I said, we are recording this a few hours before kickoff on, in the PSG home game. So by the time you listen to this, hopefully we are still in the middle of very good form. Hopefully we have qualified from the Champions League group and who knows, even closer to the title. Um, it would be a good chapter. Is that on the cards if Solskjaer does get us out of this? <laughs> This, this, uh, right now, I am actually racking my brains and thinking about ideas for a second book. Um, all I, all I would say on on Solskjaer is, I would love to see him on the 
Old Trafford pitch in 20 years' time, um, giving a speech like like Ferguson gave and saying, even the defeats are what made this club, you know, or makes this club great. And that's that was the line from the Ferguson speech in 2013 that, that uh, basically gave me the title of the book. And the emphasis that Ferguson put on that line. Funny enough, the, the speech is memorable and I remember him thanking everyone and many other things. But I just remember that line and the, the way he even said it stuck in my brain for, for a few years. And then it just led me to this great idea for a book with uh, even the defeats. Um, and, and I would love to see and love to have narratives and stories of, of, of the dark because we there is a there is a parallel if if, if Solskjaer was to, um, you know, to, to inspire us to great things that. The, the early two or three years of, of Ferguson's reigns were pretty dark. Uh, and, and we would like to imagine that the first two years of, of, of Solskjaer's reign were building towards something else. And there is a, there is a the parallel of, of people behind the scenes uh, at United in the late 80s. You know, people like Martin Edwards, the chairman at the time, said that he had great faith in the work that Ferguson and Archie Knox were doing. Archie Knox, by the way, also was someone who helped me with the book um, and gave me some of his time. So we just like to think that Solskjaer, you know, is doing something similar. And again, similar noises are coming out of Old Trafford. They're behind the scenes. You know, there's a lot of faith in what he's doing and building for long-term success. Um, but of course, we know we don't get quite as much time in the modern day as Ferguson enjoyed um, 20 or 30 years ago. Yeah, no, definitely. Fingers crossed. I think on that note, I think I'm going to have to go off onto YouTube and just... Um... YouTube Ferguson speech again because it does give you goosebumps every time you listen to it. Yeah. But hopefully all our listeners have enjoyed this podcast. Something different, but some, as I mentioned right at the start of the podcast, it's these podcasts I do kind of enjoy rather than well, in a month's time we're going to be talking about Jaden Sancho every second podcast. So it is good to have a bit of a break from the football and just sort of look back at what the story is at Manchester United. So hopefully everyone has enjoyed that podcast. Uh, make sure... You share it on all your social medias. Um, it'd be good for as many Reds to listen to this as possible. And also um, click on the links to John's book. And, um, yeah, hopefully you get it in time for Christmas because we could all use a bit of joy to um, end 2020. So um, thank you, John, very much for joining us. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you. Uh, pleasure. And chat to everyone next week. Cheers. Cheers.